Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, progress in Minnesota's fight to end veteran homelessness, Minnesota's connection to the Apollo 11 moon landing, and go for football at Big Ten Media Day. But first, this week in politics brought top management turmoil at Minnesota's largest state agency in a tweet that triggered a fierce war of words between Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and President Donald Trump. Send her back, directed at Congresswoman Omar during a Trump rally midweek in North Carolina. Representative Omar blamed the United States for the terrorist attacks on our country, saying that terrorism is a reaction to our involvement in other people's affairs. We can either continue to enable this president and report on the bile of garbage that comes out of his mouth, or we can hold him accountable to his crimes. It is time for us to stop allowing this president to make a mockery out of our Constitution. It's time for us to impeach this president. Governor Tim Walz weighed in about Trump's attacks on Omar. Get the trade deal done. Do your job, is what I would send to the president. Bring this country together around these things and don't denigrate uh, American citizens who are serving and who were duly elected by, in this case, the people of Minneapolis. The Democrat-controlled U.S. House voted 240 to 187 along party lines to condemn as racist the president's earlier tweets that Omar and three other Democratic congresswomen of color should, quote, go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it is done. These comments from the White House are disgraceful and disgusting, and these comments are racist. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi drew strong Republican objections when she said... Every single member of this institution, Democratic and Republican, should join us in condemning the president's racist tweets. I urge the gen- a unanimous the from vote... Thank and you. yield back the balance of my I was just going to give the General Speaker of the House if she would like to rephrase that comment. I have cleared my remarks with a parliamentarian before I read them. And take it. And I ask the words be taken down. I make a point of order the gentlewoman's words are unparliamentary and risk ready to be taken down. Democrats voted down that motion. The president said to Omar and her three colleagues, dubbed the squad, quote, if you hate our country or if you are not happy here, you can leave. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. The president accused Omar of saying how great al-Qaeda is and that she hates Jews. Omar fired back she won't dignify that comment with a response. This is a president who has overseen the most corrupt administration in our history and pursued an agenda to allow millions of Americans to die from a lack of health care while he transfers millions of dollars in tax cuts to corporations. Political analysts say the president's line of attack is a strategy that he and his aides believe will cast the Democratic Party as a far-left radical group. In state politics, Republicans say there's a fundamental problem at the Minnesota Department of Human Services. After two top officials resigned, and then this week, Commissioner Tony Lorry and his chief of staff stepped down, and then the two deputy commissioners who had resigned earlier said they would stay on. 
Governor Walz said he did not fire Commissioner Laurie, that it was his decision to resign. He believes now is the time to put someone with a different skill set in to manage the agency post-budget to achieve those goals that we are asking for. This is a dedicated public servant who I think looked at this and said, you know, it's going to take a little different leadership style. Republican Senator Michelle Benson's take? It might just be the case that DHS is too big of an entrenched bureaucracy even for somebody with Tony Laurie's experience to transform. At the heart of the controversy, Republicans accusing the Walls administration of delaying an investigation into allegations of fraud in the state's child care assistance program even as Inspector General Carolyn Hamm is on paid leave due to a complaint against her. House Minority Leader Kurt Dowd says Hamm's wages in the interim, about $42,000. Four months went by where she drew a paycheck where no investigation happened. That's the problem. Governor Walls responded an investigation has started and every employee has the right to due process. To be very clear, no one in state government stole any money. Private businesses stole from the state of Minnesota, and we were negligent, or it appears to me that we were negligent in stopping that in a timely manner. The governor said he could not speak to how long the investigation has been going on. Republicans said they suspect it's only been a short period of time and called for oversight hearings in the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House. Rochester Representative Tina Liebling responded. I just really don't see the urgency of having a hearing. There's, of course, conversations going on. I can talk to the administration, um, just like Kurt Dowd can, and there's really no reason to have a hearing. Elk River Republican Nick Zerwas fired back. If this doesn't scream for a legislative oversight hearing, I don't know what does. Um, The windows are open, and the folks at DHS are just pitching taxpayer money out the door. Liebling said she would like that fraud investigation finished fairly soon. I would certainly expect it to be concluded by the time we start the new uh, legislative session, and hopefully before then, because it's going to be important to have somebody in place to start implementing a lot of the legislation that we did pass. We have to get to the bottom of this. We got people uh, fleeing the ship like rats out of a sinking ship. If we're not going to look into it now, then Why do we even bother doing any oversight? And Governor Walls this week spotlighted Minnesota's new law against wage theft with a ceremonial signing at the Capitol. Put Minnesota to the forefront of protecting workers, protecting ethical employers, and living by our values that a day's work means a day's pay. And keying into fierce debate at the federal level, Minnesota's top elected officials said they will enforce the wage theft law even for workers who are not in the country legally. You are not entitled to steal people's wages based on their immigration status or lack thereof. We will enforce that law. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woo-hoo! So come check us out. Check us out. 
And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Late this week, Governor Walls joined local officials in Mankato to announce the effective end of homelessness among veterans in southeast Minnesota. I spoke with Department of Veterans Affairs Commissioner Larry Herkey about the progress and challenges in the fight to end veteran homelessness altogether in Minnesota. Commissioner, when we say effective end of homelessness, what does that mean? What that means is that they uh, have been demonstrated that the, any backlog of veterans homelessness they've uh, eliminated and that uh, from now on they'll be able to help all veterans that are found to be homeless within a 90-day period or less to be able to to put them into permanent housing. So not only have they solved the backlog problem, but they put in a preventative process for going forward. I imagine it's a fairly complicated answer, but uh, how did we get to this point in Mankato where we uh, were able to be able to announce this good news? Well, I, th- I think there's a lot of a lot of things that go into that. One is uh, a very detailed tracking of the uh, veterans, and uh, the way we do that is uh, once they've been identified by whatever um, group or organization, or if they self-identify as uh, homeless we ask them to sign a waiver, a Tennyson waiver, that uh, puts them on a, a list and allows uh, a, a group of individuals and uh, organizations throughout the communities to help and assist them. It's called the Veterans Registry, and this registry has been working since 2014. We actually uh, borrowed the idea from another group or organization that was uh, doing something similar and uh this has worked very, very good for us because we were able to bring the different services and help and assistance to the veterans that's needed. Uh, each veteran's story is just a little bit different, and each veteran needs a little bit different uh, help or assistance. And uh, we're, by tracking the individuals, we're able to uh, to get to get through all the barriers that they may have, and then get them into safe and uh, uh, permanent housing. Uh, is the eventual goal. Commissioner, I know that statewide it's been a goal to end homelessness uh, in general and specifically for veterans. Uh, We're we're adding one to the list with the announcement in Mankato. I'm curious, uh, how much progress have we made statewide? Uh, When we started out, we had uh, 644 individuals on the uh, homeless list when we first did our first count back in 2014. Since then, we've been able to house uh, about just over 1,800 veterans that have been housed, and our current count today is 216 that we're tracking. Um, We have uh, the state itself is actually split up into five continuums of care, the southeast being one of those five. Or correction, there's 10 continuums of care. Uh, The southeast will be the fifth one to actually uh, demonstrate that they're at functional zero for homelessness, as verified by um, the federal government. 
Um, and then uh, our intent is to work uh, through the next year here to um, to get the, the the remaining five continuums of care to declare as as they're doing in Mankato to, today. And Commissioner, in the meantime, uh, if we have listeners out there that are wondering where they can turn, where are their resources for veterans or their families or loved ones or people concerned about them uh, or who are concerned about the issue of homelessness? What resources are available to them? Where should they start? The, the best way is through your county veteran service officer. Uh, that's your best uh, single source of um, help and assistance because they're local and they can actually start you not only uh, to be involved with the Veterans Registry, but the, also to bring some local uh, support immediately to to the veteran themselves. Commissioner, obviously there's a way to go here, a ways to go in terms of progress, but we have made some progress, and I'm just curious if you can tell me on a personal level, what does it feel like uh, to be able to make this announcement in Mankato that uh, that things are moving in the right direction? I'm very proud of, of the folks uh, in the Southeast Continuum of Care. It demonstrates that they can work together, and personally, as a veteran, it, it may, makes me proud to know that that we are taking care of the veterans that have served our country. I do believe we uh, serve a special group of individuals that, uh, you know, my my whole life and career I've dealt with uh, both the act on the active side and now the veterans as uh, as commissioner. And I think uh, it really demonstrates that we're we're taking care of this uh, special group of people that have went the extra mile for their country and we're able to help them out and get them in a safe and secure housing situation where uh, we can ensure that they can be as successful as possible and at some point hopefully become you know, a very active and involved member of society again. And I think a lot of the veterans, they just need a hand up. Um, you know, they may have fallen on bad times or maybe they've uh, just sort of lost their way, and, and this is... This um, process through using the Veterans Re- Registry and working with e- within each one of the continuums of care is, I think, the right method to do that. And I'm very proud of the Southeast Continuum of Care for the work that they've done over the, the past uh, several years. Thank you to my guest, Department of Veterans Affairs Commissioner Larry Herkey. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Apollo 11 was the space flight that first landed humans on the moon 50 years ago this week. And Minnesota has a connection to that historic flight. Tasha Radel has more. Minnesota received a lunar sample along with every state, U.S. territory, and foreign nation as a goodwill gesture following the return of the Apollo 11 crew. Here to talk about this gift is Sandra Ryerson, the 3D objects curator at the Minnesota Historical Society. So, Sandra, can you share with us a little bit about Minnesota's connection to the moon? Uh, in the Historical Society's collection, we have soil samples from Apollo 11 and uh, a piece of the Goodwill moon rock from Apollo 17. Uh, both of those were uh, were given out by the, the Nixon administration. Well, the NASA gave it out on orders from the Nixon administration uh, to all state territories uh, and and near over 100 countries uh, around the world uh, as, a, as a Goodwill gesture. 
so we have the, the Moon Rocks, but we also have another local connection, and that's through Honeywell, uh, because uh, those folks were involved in, in some of the programming uh, for Apollo, the Apollo program in general. And when we talk about the lunar rocks, I understand uh, Minnesota's uh, rocks uh, went missing for a while. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? Yeah, so Apollo 17 has always been uh, present and accounted for uh, because uh, the governor's office uh, gifted or gave them straight to the Minnesota Historical Society uh, when, when the administration left office. Uh, what happened with Apollo 11 was that uh, Harold Levander's uh, office, the, he was the governor at the time, um, the staff is always the one, uh, they're, they're the folks that are uh, dispersing the gifts, uh, the official gifts received by the governor while in office uh, on the way out the door. And so um, there, there's a more uh, traditional path now that uh, the governor's staff reach out to the Historical Society uh, and give us, uh, give us the first offer, if you will. Um, but in, the 19, in 1970, uh, when Lavander was leaving office, uh, the staff decided that the Department of Military Affairs would be uh, the best place to, uh, to deposit the Apollo 11 uh, moon rocks, uh, soil samples. And, uh, and so they were received by the Department of Military Affairs uh, and then just not very well documented. So they were put into storage um, and, um, and nobody kept a record of them being there. Uh, and so over the, the next uh, decade, uh, folks didn't know where they were. And that was not uncommon. Um, many states still don't know where their moon rocks are. Many countries don't either. Some, some of them ended up on the black market. It's actually illegal in the United States to buy and sell moon rocks <laughs> uh, or moon material of any kind. And so what happened in the 1990s was uh, a fellow working for NASA started trying to track down uh, all of the moon rocks because once NASA gave them out as gifts, they, they didn't track them. It was up to the recipient to track those things. Uh, and so in the 90s, there was a sting operation that Ross Perot put up $5 million to get the, uh, the rocks given to Honduras back. And then when, when he retired from, from NASA, this guy known as the Moon Rock Hunter uh, started working at the University of Phoenix in Arizona and got nearly 1,000 graduate students over many years uh, to seek the moon rocks, try to figure out where all of them ended up. And, uh, and the Historical Society, the University of Minnesota, probably many others, uh, received inquiries from these graduate students in the 2000s. And we were able to say uh, that, yes, of course, we have Apollo 17 right here in our hands, but we never did receive Apollo 11. So that's likely when the Department of Military Affairs uh, folks started looking in their storage cabinets. And in 2012, uh, they located the Apollo 11 rock, um, or soil samples, uh, and then transferred them to the Minnesota Historical Society. So they've been in our collection since then and are now on display at the Minnesota Science Museum. And Sandra, you know, I wanted to talk to you uh, about the, the samples. When I'm thinking of a moon rock, I'm thinking of like a softball size rock or bigger, but that's not the case, correct? Correct, yeah. So NASA came back with a lot of, of material from the, the moon surface, but what was given out as gifts um, in the Apollo 17 uh, rock is actually a rock, and it's called the Goodwill Rock because uh, all of the gifts that went out around the world are just fragments of this one larger rock. So the Apollo 17 rock is about the size of the end of a finger, uh, whereas the Apollo 11 soil samples are really like grain of rice-sized chunks of dirt <laughs> that are encased in lucite, kind of plastic, and then mounted to uh, this wooden plaque uh, 
uh, with the state flag of Minnesota, which also went up in the shuttle. So the flag that's uh, on display with the rock or the soil samples um, was in space as well. Thanks again to my guest, Sandra Ryerson, 3D Objects Curator with the Minnesota Historical Society. Before I turn it back to you, Scott, let's go back 50 years to that day. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Listen, uh... Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The President later expressed the nation's response to this historic mission. Some way, when those two Americans stepped on the moon, the people of this world were brought closer together. That it is that spirit, the spirit of Apollo, that America can now help to bring to our relations with other nations. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher football placeholder Casey O'Brien was the student-athlete speaker at the Big Ten football luncheon on Friday in Chicago, an honor that no Minnesota player has had since Eric Decker spoke to the gathering in 2009. O'Brien is a four-time cancer survivor who told his story to more than 1,000 people in person and many more who watched on TV this weekend. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm was in Chicago at the event and sat down with O'Brien. Well, Casey O'Brien, let's talk about the message you delivered on Friday. How important was it to deliver that message, and um, and how rewarding was it to, to get your message across and, and the meaning of it? Uh, it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, being able to stand in front of that many people and kind of tell my story and tell, talk about everything that I've been through and then uh, how, I've got, how I've gotten to be in the position that I'm in. And um, it was a really cool experience and something that I'll never forget the rest of my life. What were some of the key points that you wanted to make sure to include in your speech and that might have an impact on people? The biggest thing that I wanted to talk about was how thankful I am. Um, I'm extremely thankful for a lot of different areas of my life and a lot of different areas have played a role in me getting to where I'm at. Um, I talked about how thankful I am for my family, how thankful I am for the teammates that I have, for the coaches that I have, and then especially for the game of football. And then the last thing that I mentioned was uh, how much the hospital means to me. And uh, the Masonic Children's Hospital, the hospital on campus, is where I've done all my treatments, so I wanted to make sure that they were 
they were a good good part of the speech as well because they've they've meant a lot to my family and I. You were the star quarterback on your freshman football team at Creighton Durham Hall. You're 13 years old. There were people even at that time saying, hey, this kid can be a college quarterback probably if he keeps growing and working hard and you have that work ethic and have that work ethic. Obviously now with what you've been through, there's there's no doubt in my mind that that would have happened. Take me back to that day. You weren't sure what was going on. The doctors uh, were checking your leg and, and kind of, I mean, that, that, that was, uh, I would think, uh, one of the harder days you've, you've been through. Yeah, it, it for sure was. Um, I was experiencing kind of a, a pain in my left knee when I would push off to drop back to pass when I was playing quarterback as a freshman. And it just wouldn't get any better and wouldn't get any better. And we're going to all these different doctors and knee specialists, and no one could really pinpoint what was wrong and why, why it couldn't get any better. And then we ended up getting an MRI just a couple weeks before Christmas and ended up finding a tumor the size of a baseball on my knee and kind of took my breath away hearing that. So ended up uh, getting diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a really, really rare form of bone cancer, and had a port put in that next morning and started chemo the following day. So it was quite the whirlwind, and then that was the day that my life changed forever. You've beaten cancer four times. You can't play quarterback, but you're on this Gopher football team. What's it mean to you to be part of a team still and a football team? I mean, it, it, it just puts a smile on my face talking about it. Um, it means so much to me, especially uh, playing for the state that I grew up in and the school that I grew up watching, um, and then being surrounded by guys who have been there for me when I was going through some of the worst periods and waking up and seeing those guys after surgery. I mean, those are, uh, those are my brothers, and they will be my brothers the rest of my life. So you can't play football. But yet, and you've 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 been you know hit in the gut more than once. How do you stay positive and so positive? Because that's been to me the most impressive thing about your journey is is the that you're positive at a time when almost nobody should have to go through what you're going through, and you're impacting other people too. But how do you stay positive? Um, I kind of think about it this way: uh, as long as I get to spend a day where I'm above ground, it's a good day. So, and then another thing, I, I really believe that. Your body responds to your mind and how you are carrying yourself. So if you're carrying yourself in a positive and happy way, your, your body will heal quicker and you're going to feel better than if you're just laying around, kind of moping around all day. I think that that can definitely play a role in your recovery and also fighting cancer. And I think that that goes under-talked about and should be more of an, the equation when you talk about fighting cancer. I think attitude and your mindset is a huge role. You mentioned something to me one time that um, you're a competitor, so you can't play necessarily football or hockey like you did. And you kind of, it's not a game, but you treated your battles kind of as, hey, I'm a competitor, so it's something to go beat. I'm going to go beat this cancer. And that was the mindset you took on. Absolutely. My mindset was, for these doctors, just let me know what I got to do to where I can get back to being normal. So if it's if it's nine months, if it's a year, whatever it is, just let me cross off a week once I finish a week and we'll count them down until I'm done with it and I'm back to being cancer-free. So that's the way that I've treated it each time that I've gone through it. And it's kind of like, honestly, it's like a game plan. If if I get ever diagnosed again, I mean, I know how to handle things and I hope that's, that, that would never happen. But um, I've kind of got a little formula that seems to work and I'm trying to pass that on to other people. Well, you certainly have. You've been an impact. You've had an influence. Congratulations on a, on a good weekend in Chicago. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. 
That's Gopher football placeholder Casey O'Brien of Creighton Durham Hall along with MN's Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.